Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even. You'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So hey there, Wander lovers, and welcome to this episode of Wonderful, the podcast for people looking for a bit of inspiration on the go. I'm David Pearl, and I am suffering from hay fever. Not, I think, probably from hay, but probably from tree pollen. So do forgive me if I splutter a little bit, but I'm very glad uh, to be back here with you. How's it been? Have you been taking the highways or the byways? Have you been sticking to the... uh, road more traveled or the road less traveled i hope you've been breaking the mold breaking the routine and letting life surprise you welcome and i wanted to ask you a question what do you when i say the word activism what does it uh summon up in your mind for me when i live with an activist my wife is pretty activist and so uh what um we tease her a bit that she's got a permanent uh, placard but it's like a whiteboard so that the the mission of the day and there are many let's face it in this world can be scrubbed out and you can put the mission on the day but for me it's it's i wouldn't have regarded myself as an activist until the last few years um when i've been i never went on a demonstration or a protest march but i'm doing it quite regularly now and in fact the most recent was at the weekend when joe and i um, had our anniversary and we celebrated by standing in downing street in london in the rain uh, uh, sort of protesting the end of democracy as we see it and uh, making a bit of noise. I took my whistle along, I like to make a bit of noise. Um, and my question was, it's noisy, there's a certain energy to it, but are we getting the message across? And the guest that I want to introduce you today, the marvellous Sarah Corbett, asked that question of herself, is there a better way of getting the message across? And said, there's got to be. So let me, let, let me just read you, I don't normally do this, but let me just read you uh, what they say about Sarah in Wikipedia, because I think it describes really well what she does. Sarah Corbett is a speaker, professional activist, author, and the founder of Craftivist Collective, a social enterprise which uses the technique of craftivism, combining craft and activism, to engage people in social justice issues, quotes, in a quiet, non-confrontational manner involving pretty handcrafted gestures of defiance. I love that, involving pretty handcrafted gestures of defiance. Yeah, so if you thought craft was something you find in twee tourist shops, think again. I mean, there's quite a long tradition of craft being used in terms of, uh, in sort of to, to raise consciousness about social issues. Um, my wife, who's a ceramicist, reminds me that uh, the anti-slavery movement used to create teacups which had anti-abolitionist uh, um, slogans on and that you'd, you'd, you'd bring them out during a polite tea party and it would stimulate conversation about slavery. Well, 
Sarah has really updated and rethought and uh, um, re recreated in some way the craftivist um, movement. And um, you'll hear her talk about it in this interview. You'll hear her talk about her, her passion for craft, how she discovered it. You'll hear her talk about the courage you sometimes need to, to face the so-called opposition, the so-called enemy, and, and not get angry. Um, you'll hear about the kind of care and love that's needed to be a successful craftivist. And you'll also hear about what Sarah does when she does get angry, which obviously she does, and how she dances it off. Um, she's an inspiring, truly wonderful human being. Uh, let's drop into the conversation with Sarah Corbett. Well, so I, I grew up in an activist family in lots of ways. My dad is still the local vicar in Everton, which is a very low income area. So seeing inequality on the front doorstep um, in the 80s and 90s and squatting in social housing with my parents and, and the community of people of all faiths and none to save them from demolition and and we won um, and we got both bishops involved, the Catholic and the president. We got loads of media. Like I sort of grew up seeing all of the different ways you could do activism um, and that the media would only sit, you know, pick and promote certain types. But I knew that there was lots of hidden meetings in our back kitchen normally <laughs> um, mm. happening around campaigns. And my mum was a nurse and then a full-time mum of three kids under the age of five at one point on a tiny wage living on the 14th floor of a tower block that had lots of mini fires, which got her into politics, which was awful. Um, And now she's deputy mayor (laughs) of Liverpool City Council. So she became a councillor because no one else wanted to do it. She was a community worker. Um, So it's really interesting. I'm very lucky in lots of ways of seeing my dad do community organising, my mum getting more and more involved in local politics and working on national politics issues as well. And I ended up working in in international development um, and in campaigning because I'd always done campaigning. But I'm an introvert. I hate conflict. I don't like the limelight. I don't like performance stuff I don't like telling people what to do so I felt like as an activist like oh my word this is so I hate doing it but I really believe in activism and that activism can work in terms of long-term change when I was eight we went to South Africa on the only sabbatical my dad ever took you're supposed to take them every seven years and it was in 90 one um so Mandela had just got out and we were learning about all the peace and reconciliation work they were doing and we'd been campaigning on anti-apartheid for a long time and that was a real eye-opener for me as well as how activism was done how you have to do peace and reconciliation with people who directly wanted didn't see you as human and that was the only the only way to engage with them to make sure there wasn't a civil war was to work with them, which is very sobering. Um, so that my background's very much sort of seeing how to make positive change long term. Mm. But how do you do it in a you can do it in a quiet way? Like I don't my craftivism, I always say, is one tool in the activism toolkit. You know, it's not to replace other forms. We still need marches if the marches have very clear demands and are not just focused on personality, um, but are focused on policy, because that can be more polarizing and, and harmful and helpful. 
we do need the big performances we need the big stunts but I also knew and I think in my gut knew and I know you're very you know intuitive and think of your gut as well on your wonders I also knew that change doesn't just happen in transactional and loud and public ways a lot of the way we change our own hearts and minds is looking at other people it's mirroring it's someone that's really close to us nudging us to say hang on a minute why have you done that then because it seems to be against your you know principles or the kindness that you normally show that's where people can really go oh crap I do need to change so there's lots of different ways I think that activism needs to think about and and my craftivism is all about where are the gaps and where can craftivism fill certain gaps to complement other tactics and where can it bring in audiences that are really scared of activism that might be really influential so my last summer campaign before cop in glasgow was specifically to target people i said this is for eco warriors rather than eco warriors it's for people who've never done climate action or activism before but are really worried about global warming and i targeted um, conservative constituencies because we have a conservative government I would have targeted different constituencies if we had a Labour government or a Green government and I targeted people who'd never done activism before in suburbia and more rural parts where you don't see climate action and we dressed as canaries we wore beaks for people who were nervous to show their face we were in groups of 12 15 people or less. So I said, you know, we want less than 15 people. So you're not um, scaring people off in your local area and you're not nervous as an introvert or as an anxious person. And you don't say anything. You just sit there in a local, in your local recognized area that most of the residents love. So it might be on the top of a hill in Norwich overlooking the city. It might be on the beaches of Folkestone, wherever it was, you just sit in your beautiful outfits that are handmade you make a little canary for your MP that's life-size it's not dead it's a smiley canary and we take a beautiful photograph for the local media because we were targeting local media over the summer because a lot of activism doesn't happen over the summer around local media but but politicians will look at the newspapers then even though a lot of them are on recess and we got these people who'd never done climate action before we had one family who were all three generations are completely different uh, political persuasions and had never done activism before because I always argued about everything. But they came together around climate and said, we love where we live. We're dressing up. We're making a canary for our MP from this family and from other locals that joined in to say, you know, please help us make a cleaner and greener world and constituency. And this little canary is for you to sit on your desk or on your window to remind you that time is running out. And canaries had this history of being gentle friends you know the coal miners loved their canaries they were seen as colleagues they would tweet away and sing with them and then when they would get sleepy with the toxins the the coal miner wouldn't be thinking of their own life they'd be thinking oh my little mate's starting to like not say anything we need to get up we need to put them in their little oxygen boxes and make sure they stay alive so there's such a lovely story about how these lovely quiet gentle birds that need clean air to fly higher and and faster were there to help 
the the coal miners to, to for them not to die but for everyone to you know live a cleaner world we could have all dressed as canaries and done die-ins and I said to the XR groups I know well and I support some behind the scenes I said please don't get involved and please don't do that this is about using the canaries in this gentle crafty way um so there's a lot of limitations I put on our craftivist collective to say we're focused on the summer, local media, your MP, less is more, you know, quiet in this context is better. And we got it into seven craft magazines and we got it into, you know, got lots of different coverage where you don't normally get climate action, which was the point of the project. Um, so as you can hear, there's lot, lots more um I think through everything from the colours we use, the fonts, the language being nonviolent communication, who are the targets, how do we engage them, who do they listen to, all of that is just as important as picking up your needle and thread, you know? I can imagine the Hollywood version of the, of, of the Sarah story where you there's a you know there's a campaign going on and they say call for sarah and she appears in a helicopter and walks and you see her feet walking down and she's got her needle and her thread and her and her strategic <laughs> thinking because what's interesting to me strategic. <laughs> yeah but i mean it sounds to, loads of things occur to me one of them is the word care i'm wondering whether the care you take with the fonts and the care you take with the thinking and the care that's taken with the needle or whatever the final artifact is and the love that's put into it is that part of the effectiveness of the oh, massively. what you do yeah, I mean, even our woven labels that you stitch on some of the street art that we do, we do these mini protest banners, which are cross-stitched and postcard-sized. Um, the label on it says, made with courage and care, Craftivist Collective. And that's a little bit of a nudge to the craftivist to say, one, do this with courage. Don't just put everyone recycle or be wonderful. You know, be courageous and sort of challenge people but do it in a careful way. Think through the fronts, think through the message. If you just put, you know, capitalism is awful, exclamation mark, people are going to look at it and go, well, interesting that someone's cross-stitched it and put it outside a bank or somewhere relevant. But what am I going to do with that message? You either agree with it or you don't, but it's not enticing you to think more. So we often turn facts into questions or you'll have a fact and then say, what do you think about this? Or it'll be um, a lovely quote from... Gandhi or Martin Luther King or um, even Martin Scorsese. I had a brilliant quote around violence that I put in an area um, where gangs hang out. I put it in the daytime when they don't hang out there because I thought there's a lot of violence in my community in East London and gangs that, you know, goes through the waves, which is awful. But I grew up with these types of kids where, you know, they're not they're not awful human beings at all. And I thought, they're not going to listen to a quote from Mother Teresa, but they might be interested in a quote by Martin Scorsese about how violence doesn't solve anything in the long term. And it just maybe create a conversation and it, you know, challenges a few of them or they start thinking outside the box. I mean, gangs is much hard. That's not going to solve gang culture and gangs are families. And, you know, it's really complex for people to get out of gangs. But I took a nice picture. I've shared it online. People have used it in books. It's just a small catalyst for people to rethink, just like 
I I say my approach to craftivism is gentle protest. If you Google craftivism, I always say it's a little bit like Google and punk music. You know, what pops up is all these different bands and artists that sound completely different, but they're all under that umbrella of punk. Craftivism, I didn't coin the phrase. It was coined in 2003 by a woman called Betsy Greer. I Googled it in 2008. I Googled craft and activism in 2008 because I thought there's something in the process of craft that's really helping me slow down and calm down and think more strategically. So I thought there must be something in this. And the people opposite me, I was on a train to Glasgow doing my first ever cross-stitch and they were asking me what I was doing. And the activist in Henry David was like, Oh, I'm stitching a bloody teddy, but if only I was stitching a, you know, a quote by, you know, Desmond Tutu, we could talk about that. So that was a bit of a catalyst for me. So I Googled craft and activism. But if you if you Google craftivism, there are crocheted voodoo dolls of world leaders that will get much more likes on Instagram than my stuff. But I would say that that's really harmful more than helpful. You know, you're focused on personality, not policy. It's very simplistic. We don't live in a binary world. You know, we it doesn't really get you to take an action on something. You're, you're just doing a like. You're not really engaging deeply on what are the systemic, structural, messy systems in place that I can that I'm part of the problem. Where can I be part of the solution, knowing that we can't be perfect? So there is forms of craftivism out there that is much more palatable and more binary and simplistic. Um, and more fun <laughs> for people than my stuff. But I think, yeah, if we really want to make change, then the gentleness is so powerful. You know, putting yourself in, in the power holder's shoes, not yeah. just the person directly affected. But Gant, as you were talking, I was wondering whether the courage isn't the storming the barricades kind of courage. It's more the courage. Is there something about the courage to have patience, to be gentle, to to, if you like, trust the process rather than, um, you know, is is shouting, which I often feel like doing and often do, um, in some ways a the easier way out? Yes. Some, sometimes. Everything's context, isn't it? So my sister's quite an extreme extrovert, amazing social worker. She loves a good march. She'll wear a giant jumper that she's painted with a brilliant slogan on, and she'll be the first one to lead a chant. And it's brilliant. And she'll still do it in a loving way. It's not, you're evil, you're this. You know, it's still strategic in terms of it focused on the issue. For her, that's not courageous. That's really fun. For me, <laughs> I, I might do it if I feel like it's a good use of my time and it's needed, but I'll absolutely hate doing it. So that that the loudness is always different. I think that the courage definitely is deciding whether the shouting is the right thing to do or not. So for me, I call it gentle protest because I don't mean gentle as in passive or weak, but I mean as in loving to you, loving to everyone else. And it's about self-control, you know, gentleness is in, it's what's your response to this injustice? It shouldn't be, a, not, none of our activism should be a reaction. It should be proactive, not reactive. Ooh. So it might be proactive that you need to get out that same day, run to Westminster just before a vote happens and say, what the hell is going on? 
you still need a few seconds or minutes to not be reactive and go rah or it might be saying like with our climate campaign i was speaking to lots of different um climate ngos months beforehand i mean a year beforehand saying what are your plans before cop in glasgow who are you working with who are you not and it took me four months to gather what everyone was doing and where the gaps were a few more months for me to say okay i think i could fill the gaps with my gentle craftivism in these ways that complement and not conflict with other forms of climate action and it's a it's not just a short-term transaction it means then i have this group of canary craftivists that we can call on for different things that have i've had to slowly engage them over months to get to the point where they go out in public and do something and then they meet their mp you know it's really sobering for me to learn that actually for to say to people meet your mp and give them a canary that you've made was really scary they thought they had to know everything about climate they didn't realize they power the power they had as a constituent how everything was kept in records all of that stuff so for some people the courage to make a knitted or a crocheted or a whatever little canary it was i'm showing you one now um was hugely scary for them you know just to meet their mp and, and say hello i'm a constituent but the courage for me is always getting people to not react it's to be proactive and not slip into their evil their you know objectify them but to really get people to put themselves in the shoes of the power holders is quite a new idea for people and to say okay if i was that politician or if i was that ceo how would i respond if if i had a milkshake thrown at me well the neuroscience i'm working with a neuroscientist at the moment on my new book which is 20 projects as a handbook and the neuroscience says that that's a bad surprise having a milkshake thrown at you. So you go into fight, flight or freeze mode. So even if you agree with what that activist is telling you, you can't hear it because you're you're, you're fearful. Um, and then every time you, you hear from that activist or you see that activist again, your body remembers that negative experience you had. So you're not want to engage with them again. Whereas our handkerchiefs create dopamine. So every time that person gets an email from us or a, a, a paper craft gift card as a little top up, you know, saying all we want for Christmas is the living wage or show your love this Valentine's Day for the planet or whatever it is. They remember that good, that dopamine that they got. So their body, not so much their mind, their body goes, oh, oh, David gave me, a, gave me dopamine the last time I saw him. So I'm going to open up this email because maybe I'll get more dopamine. So it is, it is all about putting yourself in other human beings' shoes and not being led by your own motives, baggage, presumptions, passions, but really trying to serve the cause. The gentleness is, you know, treading lightly. It's being gentle with people. You know, even if we want to change our own habits, there's cognitive dissonance there of we know we need to change, but we like doing the same old thing because that's where the comfort is as a human being. We've done the same old thing. We've stayed alive. So doing something new makes us nervous that we're going to die. That's literally how our bodies think. Um, so I, I think 
it's not it's more trying things out and being light touch and everything so not holding things and forcing things so for some things like the gifts to power holders so the canaries for mps we give one or a, a small group of them, not too many that's spamming because MPs have small offices and that's not helpful. One per constituent or per group of constituents. And to put on to put on the MP's desk or put in the office somewhere for the team to sort of remind them. But then we're very strategic of, of saying every few months or whenever something new comes out that they're voting on, don't forget about your lovely canary and we've normally named them for whatever reason. So, you know, lovely Frank and us are hoping that you're going to vote in this way or we're hoping that this is an opportunity for you to do X for your lovely constituency. So that is very holding people accountable Whereas the mini fashion statements, which are anonymous and we can't track, <laughs> we can't track online, you know, with all of the mm. data stuff that's done digitally, we have to hold that even more gently. So we can sort of hold the canaries a bit more forcefully of we've given you this gift and we're holding you account, but in a, a loving way to believe the best in you, not the worst in you, even if your track record is awful. Um, but the mini scrolls are we have no control over them. So we can be as strategic as possible beforehand on the texture of the paper. The embossed stamp means you engage in two or more senses and it's very subtle but memorable. The colours of the ribbon are regal colours, so they're seen as luxury, not cheap. So if you do it on scrap paper with string and you write loads really fast, it's a very different experience. And it says at FashRev at the bottom, so you can Google that and find out loads to do. That's really strategic, but at the end of the day, you literally drop it in a pocket and you have no control over what happens. And you don't need even you can't even track sometimes what happens it's being as strategic as possible but then knowing that you don't at the end of the day you have no control so it's such i have a, some paper bunting i made behind me david that you can see yes. that says yeah. walk hum, walk humbly so for me it reminds me to not stay still and do nothing not run have a sprint and burn out but keep walking but do it humbly knowing that i'll try and be as strategic as possible. But at the end of the day, we're talking about human beings who are complex and messy and we live in such a fast-paced, messy world that I might do one project and it's three years later someone says to me, you know what, that really made me do this. But it was three years later. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love I love what you're saying. I love also the word craft. Something in, in back of my mind says, you know, there's an element of that where you said earlier on it's not manipulative. And I get that. But it is crafty what you're yes. doing. I, lo I love the fact that it, there's a winking eye. It's like um, this, is, this is very, very crafty. It's very smart. If, if the person receiving it, if you receive yeah. something thinking, oh, this is a bit manipulative, you're going to close off. So again, when I say, I say to people, we have craft of thought questions in all of our projects. And there's always, if you're making something for some for someone, I always say, put yourself in their shoes. Will they think that this is manipulative? Will they think this is all about you showing off? Or will they genuinely feel encouraged and held accountable? Mm -hmm. You know, we've, as craft, as craftivists, we've got to be really careful not to give that little nudge or to be too manipulative but to be kind like you said and treat people how you want to be treated and not slip into being too crafty <laughs> take us into the mind of sarah corbett when 
the anger does come up. So something really annoys you. Can, yeah. Do you know the steps by, because you said it earlier on, but I, I almost want, I want to learn from you, which is something happens that it does this overused word at the moment, trigger, but there's something, if you're yeah. a sensitive and loving person, you cannot, you cannot but be affected by something that seems to be, or is presented to you as evil, stupid, whatever. How do you, how do you manage that? You know, and how, how can we not go down the, I hate you, you're evil route? Um, so I, people are all, I get people saying all the time in talks and stuff, well, it's okay for you to be a gentle protester. You're gentle. I'm not, I'm really angry constantly. Yeah, I, I, I limit the amount of news I read so that I'm up to date with things, but I'm not overwhelmed and paralyzed by it. Um, I read, make sure I read positive news magazine as well as, you know, newspapers so you've got a nice mix but when I'm angry when I see something awful physically I get really tense and I do want to scream and shout and punch things so I jump it out I dance it out I power walk somewhere I, I just shake the anger out of me because I know it's not helpful long term long term and long term anger is chronic and produces really bad health and mental health um, problems and means you can't think clearly so I know that anger is a good catalyst, but I need to shake it out. So I never want to not be angry. I don't want to be numb to things. Yeah. But I know that it's a first step and I shouldn't be led by anger. So physically for me, I shake it out. Um, I remember the first time I got a response from my MP when I moved to London and I was sending her lots of petitions. This was before I was a craftivist. Sending her lots of petitions on paper and emails. And I got an email back from her office saying, please stop contacting us. This is a waste of your time and our time and charity's money. And I was really bloody angry. <laughs> um, and she was a different political party to me. So it was quite clear that I didn't really agree with her on lots of stuff. But instead of replying to the email, I did the hoovering, which was very helpful. And my housemates loved me for it. I did the washing up. I got all my anger out. I thought, how dare you? You know, you should believe in democracy. I'm your constituent. I've written to you. I've been nice. Rah, 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 rah. And then I thought, I put my, then I put myself in hair shoes. I do a lot of walking. And crafting helps me think. So if I'm crafting a Christmas present for someone, sometimes I'll use that to get my anger out and turn my anger out, turn my anger into something thoughtful. Um, so I did the hoovering, I went on a walk, and then I thought, okay, if I was her or her office team, well, why would I send this? Well, I'd be thinking this person isn't going to vote for me. They were a new MP. They just got loads of support nationally from the party. So they're probably really nervous to do anything against the party. She was brand new to being an MP. Um, she's got a new team. She might not have even known that the team had responded that way. The team might be overwhelmed because they're new to this. Tried to think of all the, the, you know, the best case scenarios. And then I thought, okay, so I need my MP to not think that I'm just against her on everything, to think that maybe I would vote for her in the future and that maybe I'd be a useful person to know. I'm a Christian, so I'm part of the local church, which politicians quite like when you're part of the local community, whether you're a parent with the school or a religious part of a religious group or a women's institute, women's institutes I do lots with because they're very politically influential. 
And I made a, a handkerchief. The first time I made the hanky was to my MP because I wanted her to see that I was nice, that I was thoughtful and to build a relationship with her. I found out she used to work for John Lewis. So I talked about how brilliant cooperatives are and, you know, you should love cooperatives too. Are you doing anything on, you know, ethical business? And gave her this hanky after being really angry with her and still angry with her. And still she would vote on lots of stuff I disagreed with. But I gave her this hanky in her local surgery. They asked me to come at the earliest time on a Saturday morning, which I thought was a bit of a dig, which made me angry again. But I went (laughs) with my hanky, quite embarrassed, and said, Jane, I've made you this. You're a new MP. I'm new to the area. And I want to know why you became an MP. What makes you tick? This is a bit about me. Is there anything we've got in common? I'd love to find out about why you voted in this way because I was thinking the opposite, but maybe I'm wrong. And just by giving her this handkerchief, she went from being quite standoffish to looking at the back to seeing how many hours it took me. Her team around her, they all sort of had a little giggle of this was new to us. And I said, you know, I've spent 10 hours making it. But while I was making it at different periods, I was thinking how difficult your job is and where do you want to position yourself? And, you know, you're a rising star in the party. You know, what are the pressures around it? And because of that, I found out she did loads on FGM, which was very taboo at the time and not politically something to to do, but it was a big issue where we lived. So I got her in touch with a FGM charity that wouldn't have contacted her because of her political party. But I said, actually, she's on the ground doing really important work. I think you should work with her. And then she came to me and said, you know what? I really care about international aid and our party's not doing great on that. So it would be really helpful if you and the Women's Institute and the local church could say that you care about international aid and we get it in the paper. Mm. And then it's easier for me to say to my members, well, I can't, I have to at least acknowledge that there's people in in the constituency that care about this. So I go from, I swing like everyone does with emotions of I'm really angry. And then I go, okay, how am I going to use this anger in an effective, useful way that's not going to change the world dramatically, but I can try and make some nudges and make some tweaks with the little power that I have as one little scouser. You know, I'm not a religious person, but I, I came out of this interview with, um, with Sarah feeling like I had met one in the truest sense of the word. I mean, she describes herself as a Christian. I think she's one of those people around the world that's actively and intentionally using love and energy to get that message across and to change the world. Sort of tough love, really inspiring. And, and um, I don't know about you, but I'd like a bit more of that in my life. A bit, le- bit less kind of railing at the, railing at the radio and, and blowing my whistle unheard in the street. So um, let's do what we always do on uh, Wonderful and take a fragment of what Sarah was saying and turn it into a little experience so we can sort of experience it for ourselves, take it on. Um, and so I loved what she was talking about when she said, she, when she got angry and she would sort of stomp it out. Okay, so here's a little exercise that we're creating based on what uh, Sarah's told us. We're going to call it In Their Shoes, yeah? 
So basically it's an exercise in two parts. Let's take 10 minutes to do this. In the first part, and this can be as long as you like or as short as you like, we're gonna call that the stomp. So basically, think of something or someone that is, makes you angry. And let that, bring that to mind so that you start to feel the anger build in your body. Really let yourself go. And when you feel the anger, stomp it into the ground. Like take the anger that's inside you and bang it into the ground. I know it's not the, the ground's fault, but the earth will support you, do not worry. And basically we are, the t in time on tradition, we're having a good old stomp. And once you feel that the anger has dissipated a little, part two is you stand still and bring to mind the person that's annoying you, that made you angry, or the person that embodies what's making you angry. So it might be an issue, but that, that issue might have a sort of a person that represents it. And what we'd love you to do is, uh, that's not the royal we, that's me and Andrew, our producer. We'd love you to um, sort of be a human sculpture for a moment and just try and, you know, adapt your body so you feel a bit more like that person. So if they're taller than you, imagine a bit taller. If they're some shorter than you, you know, male or female, just make slight adaptations, a little human sculpture, just a little bit more like that person. And then walk, continue to walk as they would walk. And as they walk, imagine how they you know, walk across the earth. As you do that, look out of their eyes and ask yourselves, how is what I think is wrong right for them? The thing they're doing that makes you angry, how is that right for them? You may not agree with them, but do you sense how it's right for them? And then you'll have literally looked at life from someone else's shoes. All right, then away we go. So first think of someone or something that makes you angry, like David. Choose from the, <laughs> the bewildering variety. Oh yeah, I think I've got one. Oh yes, I definitely got one. Okay, off we go. Let's go and have a bit of a stomp. So I don't know how that was for you, but I found that very interesting. Um, my source of anger was uh, the fact that the new passports that the UK government so proudly send its citizens, because they're super happy that they're blue instead of the European red, um, don't work. And I was queuing up, this is the fifth time I've done this, um, to get through those automated barriers and they don't work. And, 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 and this last time I said to this woman who was the uh, border guard, you know, uh, what's going on? And she just looked at me and she said, um, well, you might have put it next to your phone. Look, uh, there's a chip in it. You might have erased the chip. And she then looked at me and she just, she just laughed. <laughs> and she said, they don't really work. Uh, but it felt very much like it was my problem. And I was furious. So I just had a bit of a stomp. I brought her to mind and I, and I, and I had a stomp around. And I realized, and then I, I sort of embodied her, if you like. And a um, woman in her probably late, late 50s. And I, as I walked around as her, um, the phrase came up in my mind, I keep this country safe. And I started thinking and feeling 
about how this woman turns up at work and probably doesn't get paid very much and it's probably not great working conditions or times but there's a pride in keeping the the, the country safe and that the system isn't perfect but it's what we've got to live with so I could feel I could feel a, a greater purpose from her her side and how the the awkward customer that I was is just a it, yeah it's 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 she'd prefer it not to happen but it's not that important he'll sort it out so it was just interesting because in some ways I I agree safety is a good thing we may interpret it differently I think we probably interpret it very differently but there is a point at which I think she and I could agree and also she she wasn't it wasn't that she's got a problem with me or I've really got a problem with her it's just that the system. Is, is broken so there we are there's my little piece of internal craftivism now if you want to do some actual craftivism I highly recommend Sarah's book how to be a craftivist and also she's got kits and tools on that you can purchase um, on her website craftivist collective which you can you'll see in the notes and uh, you know, Sarah's work is supported by, by, by the public. Yeah? She's not paid to do this. So you might want to consider also becoming a patron of hers. And there's, there's uh, details of how to do that on her website. I think she's massively worth supporting. So, my friends, let's go forth. Let's be crafty. Let's act. Let's, above all, let's wander. See you at the next episode of Wonderful. Can't wait. You can find out more about these mindful walking techniques at streetwisdom.org, a global non-profit founded by David Pearl. Street Wisdom is an everyday creative practice you use as you walk to help you unblock your mind to find clarity and inspiration. Why not follow us at streetwisdom underscore for free guided in-person and online workshops you got it. Walking workshops. You can also download our audio guides on Spotify. Just search for Street Wisdom. Happy wandering! <laughs>